Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast. In this podcast, we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we do tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors too. Hello podcast listeners, I'm Alan Collins and I'm joined by my colleague Sam Barker. Hello. And we are going to be talking about the issue of consent because consent can be a live issue in sexual abuse cases. It becomes an issue when the defendant or the alleged abuser, if you prefer, admits to having sexual activity with his or her victim, or as they say, willing partner, and that what took place was therefore consensual. That's what they try and argue. And the recent case of Reynard Singer, who is thought to be the UK's most prolific rapist ever, has recently been sent to prison for life for having preyed on many young men in Manchester who had been enjoying a night out. Is he a a UK national or is he an Indonesian national living in the UK? As I understand it, he comes from Indonesia and he was a postgraduate student, age 36 or thereabouts, living in Manchester and has recently been sentenced to life imprisonment following a trial at Manchester Crown Court. He was convicted, as I understand it, of raping many um, young men in the Manchester area. Mm. And his case was one of consent, or rather his defence was one of consent, which was not accepted by the court, and he was convicted of raping numerous young men in it's got, Manchester. Yeah, 48 here, which is, uh, and the police believe to be there could be amongst 190 victims. Yes, yeah, astonishing. Yeah, astonishing really is. number. So, so Alan, if, um, if this is a case that involves this man, Reynard Singer, spiking drinks effectively and drugging these men, how is it possible that he's pleading a defence of consent? He, as I understand it, was arguing that the young men concerned were consenting to the sexual activity, for want of a better term, or to put it politely, that was taking place. That was his defence. He was arguing that they consented. His undoing, or his failing, I suppose, was that he bizarrely filmed himself abusing these young men, and the court the jury had to view all this footage and then decide on a case-by-case basis, it seems, as to whether or not the young men concerned had actually consented to what was taking place. Unsurprisingly, the jury found that they were unconscious, therefore they couldn't consent. Thankfully, all those videos you know, existed to be able to secure the conviction, but in circumstances where there isn't that kind of evidence, uh, a video or something like that, and we're dealing with people who are very intoxicated who have then been drugged. If the drug leaves the system soon afterwards, surely those would be quite difficult cases to prove if it's just, you know, if people have blacked out, for example. These cases can be horrendously difficult, and I think we're all aware of some very high-profile cases, for example, involving rugby players and footballers who've been accused of rape and we are, of course, aware of the cases where there have been acquittals, and the problem is, is trying to prove the lack of consent. The Sexual Offences Act 2003, Section 74, tells us what 
consent is all about. Someone consents to vaginal, anal or oral penetration only if he or she agrees by choice to that penetration and has the freedom and capacity to make that choice. Mm. Consent to sexual activity may be given to one sort of sexual activity but not to another. So, for example, someone may agree to vaginal sex but not to anal sex or there may be, you know agreement to having sex say with the other party wearing a condom and consent so it could be predicated yeah. on something and then if that doesn't follow through then there could be that consent could be vitiated in those circumstances yes and we dealt with cases where the victim has complained that they've agreed to sexual intercourse if the other party has worn a condom it's been worn and then the wearer goes and removes it Mm. And, of course, that means that the consent that had been given is has, has come to an end. Well, if we look at that, the wording of that test right there, I guess for this present case that we're talking about, one of the very important parts is the capacity to make that choice. And obviously, you know, quite aside from the drugging, when people are so intoxicated, it makes it difficult to make a free choice. That itself could, I guess, depending on what the other person knows, affect the issue of consent. Exactly. But one of the problems for the prosecution is trying to prove that the accused or the suspect did not have a reasonable belief that the complainant was consenting. Mm. And that is, I think, has been the issue in some of the high-profile cases that we are only too aware of, where it is not clear what has taken place or what has been agreed to behind closed doors to speak. Well, that's that, that's yeah. uh, that, that's something that arose recently in New Zealand, known as the, or at least in the newspapers over there, it was known as the rough sex defence. And that involved, I believe, a really tragic case. I think it was a, a British girl who was over in New Zealand travelling and had met this gentleman and they went out, there was footage of them at separate bars and clubs, mm. etc. He ended up killing her. Um, and he was charged with murder and he said that his defence was that they were having sex, it was rough sex that they were both consenting to and she ended up dying. Now, he ended up disposing of the body by putting it in a in a suitcase and burying it and he was ultimately found guilty and, yeah. uh, and, and went down for murder. But as he's saying there, it's, you know, it, that is just notorious. It, it would be very difficult in the absence of that kind of post crime conduct where he's disposed of the body um you know if if that is something that's genuinely relying on because you only have one side of the story it would be it would be a difficult difficult case to run i think yes uh and of course there uh, you know when drugs are involved um there was a a case a while back where two men in a relationship had both used drugs as part of the sexual activity that was taking place between them and there was reaction by, on the part of one of them to the medication or drugs rather not medication the, the drug that they were taken to obviously to enhance the sexual enhancement and, um, and pleasure and he died and the surviving partner panicked didn't call for an ambulance and the argument was well had he not you know, um, not walked away, so to speak, or called an ambulance, then maybe his partner, boyfriend, would have survived. Is, so is that an Australian case or is that a UK no, case? No, that was a UK case. So there's a famous Sydney case as, as well that involves similar facts, and that's, 
I don't know the status for that case at the moment, but very similar to what you're saying there, and it was kind of really high profile in Sydney. There's been an inquiry into it recently, actually. I don't know the facts off the top of my head, but it's very similar. Yeah, but it's, you know, these these cases, very hard in the emotive cases, demonstrate that you can have two willing participants, they're consenting, and then something goes wrong, and it results in tragic consequences. And then for the law trying to unravel what has taken place behind closed doors, it is it is very difficult. Absolutely. I think we saw earlier this year was the rugby cases in Northern Ireland. I mean, those trial, that trial went on for weeks and weeks, and um, that rugby player ended up being acquitted. And it was those kind of circumstances you were talking about as well, where... You, you know, it's, a, it's an issue of consent and it's a very finite point, but also very difficult to make out in court. Indeed. And of course, there's campaigners, rightly or wrongly, who say that there are too many acquittals, too many men are escaping justice. And, you know, that may well be right. But for the purposes of what we're looking at, we're looking at the issue of consent and the very difficult legal issues that arise from that issue was their consent was it fully informed consent yep. was consent continuous or was it withdrawn or did, did something change and this is of course in the criminal context and it, it is an issue that's ar- arose quite recently or a number of times recently in civil cases that we deal with when consent itself is actually a defense to to a tort sexual Indeed. assault and assault being a tort. Now, a lot of people would find it outrageous, but in fact, it is true that there can be a criminal conviction where, you know, say it's a 15-year-old just because they're below the age of, they are below the age of consent in the eyes of the criminal law and therefore cannot consent. But that's not the same uh, when it comes to civil law. And Indeed. you can take similar facts and as, and, you know, it's a rather unpalatable defence to run, but a defendant could run even on the basis that there is a conviction that there has been consent in the eyes of the civil courts as a defence to a tort. Yeah, I think it's not generally understood that just because there's been a criminal conviction, that is the be-all and end-all. If the survivor victim then goes to try and seek compensation, they may have thrown into their face, so to speak, the issue of consent. Hmm. You know, the argument may may well be, yes, the crime was committed, but you were 15 and therefore you knew what you was doing, which is, you know, sort of rather stomach turning. It is, yeah. But that's sometimes is the reality of what we have to deal with. We and it's, have, yeah. yeah. It's, it, and it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's kind of a counterintuitive situation in that the consent wouldn't be an issue in the in the criminal case because it is you know they'll be below the age of 16 and therefore it's just a given that you cannot consent to sexual relationship at that age but then you would have to have the similar arguments that you would have if it was say <clears throat> a charge of rape and consent was an issue and it was you know a, a difficult point about whether it was vitiated etc in in a civil case you might have to have or you, in a lot of circumstances in with those facts you would have to have that kind of argument as to whether the consent was genuine whether it was real or whether it was illusory yes and maybe we have to put to one side sometimes our immediate gut reaction which is one of horror when the issue of consent is raised and actually look at the realities because that is what ultimately a judge would have to do if the case comes before a judge she he has to look at well was that really non-consensual mm, that's right and it's something that we are saying we have seen pop up a fair bit recently 
Indeed. Well, on that note, I would say that all those who have had the misfortune or the tragedy of being sexually abused, you should always get legal advice if you are thinking about your legal options and particularly if you are contemplating bringing a case against your abuser or those responsible for the abuser because the legal issues can be complex, more complex than perhaps we would like and therefore it's absolutely essential that you get solid legal advice. You've only got to have uh, um, turn on the television and look at Coronation Street because mm. as we speak um, in this podcast, Coronation Street is looking at this this issue of consent. You know, it's running this piece about David Platt, who was raped by another character in Coronation Street called Josh, and Josh is on trial for rape, and he's arguing that David Platt consented to what, take, what took place. But as I understand it, if you follow the story, he had drugged Platt uh, in order to commit the sexual abuse. So um, that is a very sort of vivid and stark story that brings into focus some of the issues that we've been talking about. It sadly reflects a lot of things that happen in society nowadays. These uh, these shows seem to take on the big issues. Yeah, and, and this date rape drug is seem to be you know seems to be a sort of commonplace drug that is widely available are you going to try to say it are you going to try to well yeah yeah ghb which i understand stands for gamma hydroxide butyrate there you go that was actually pretty good thank you very much (laughs) and on that note thank you everybody for listening thank you very much Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify and Google Play. If you would like to speak to Alan or I about something you have heard this week, or even if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please do get in touch at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk 